Good morning. My name is Sam. I'm uh, Adam's father. And it's good to be with you today. Uh, my wife and I have visited the church uh, many times, uh, but uh, not on a regular basis because for 25 years uh, I was pastor of a church in West Virginia, and then before that uh, some other um, ministries, so I've been in the ministry for over 40 years. But now that I'm uh, semi-retired, I get a chance to uh, be with you, and every once in a while, perhaps if Adam allows me to be able to come and to preach. So it's very, very good to be with you today. And um, we have a son that also has a church just north of here in Madison, Atlin, to, to be specific. So for any given Sunday, we kind of flip a coin to see where we'll be headed. But it's very, very good to be with you today. So I want to direct your attention right now to the book of Jonah, chapter 3. And let's, uh, let's examine this uh, book today in light of this particular chapter. As you've been working your way through this, you have seen God's uh, activity and his character displayed. And so I want to read this chapter and you follow along in the Bible that you have in front of you. Chapter 3 of the book of Jonah. It begins... The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree to, in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. The name Jeffrey Dahmer has become a byword for a monster. Dahmer was a serial killer that was put in prison for um, a, a list of such heinous crimes that this is not the setting to even begin to recount them. 
whatever violation that you can imagine one human being doing to another, Dahmer did it. And the cold expression that he had when he was sentenced showed no remorse for his crimes. And nearly everybody believed that he should have received the death penalty. Given the chair, that was the sentiment of the entire nation when his trial took place. A few years into his prison term, Dahmer was visited by a gospel-preaching Christian. And over the course of that, he asked for a Bible. And then, after a series of visits by this Christian, Dahmer saw for the very first time the darkness of his own soul and the path of destruction that he had taken. And against the light of God's word, he deeply repented of his path of sin and the violence and the rape and all of that former life. And he believed in Jesus Christ as the one who could turn him away from that darkness. And he was forgiven and he was saved. This chief of sinners was born again. The old Dahmer died with Christ and he was raised with Christ as a new creation. He was granted Bible studies and he was baptized in the prison whirlpool. Now, when news got out of his conversion, it was widely publicized and there was an immediate reaction. Uh, Many were skeptical, of course, thinking that it was just a stunt to gain sympathy. But the media was fuming mad. And they demanded that somebody be held accountable for this. I mean, how dare anybody talk to this killer about his soul? One of the headlines in the newspapers and press had bold print and said, Who is responsible for this outrage? Well, the person responsible was God. He's the one who had the idea of sending a preacher. It was God's idea to show Jeffrey Dahmer mercy. It was God who was behind this. A few months later, Dahmer was beat to death in prison by a fellow inmate, and a lot of people were pleased by that. He got what he deserved, they said. But from God's perspective, Dahmer received what he didn't deserve. He received mercy from the Lord for his soul. You see, mercy, by definition, is to withhold the severe judgment that we deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is to bestow kindness that we don't deserve. That's the difference. And Dahmer, like all of us, like all of us, deserved guilt and misery in this life and the fires of hell in the next But God showed him mercy and graciously forgave his sins and gave him a new heart and gave him eternal life. 
In the words of the old hymn that come to my mind, the words say, there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. The book of Jonah puts on display the wideness of God's mercy. There is not one person in this book to whom God did not show mercy. Everybody, even the sailors, he showed them mercy. Jonah 1.1, she studied several weeks ago, begins, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up to me. Now we're so far removed, as you know, from those circumstances that we can't begin to appreciate just how offensive those words were in the ears of, of Jonah. The crimes of Nineveh against humanity would be in the category of a Jeffrey Dahmer. He would have been quite comfortable in Nineveh. See, when, when the Ninevites did not like somebody, they cut off their head. And if they didn't like a bunch of people, they cut off all of their heads. And they built a pyramid in the city square with those heads to serve as a visual aid. The prophet Nehemiah preached against Nineveh, and these are God's words through the prophet. Woe to that city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, the galloping horses, jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords, glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. That was Nineveh. That was what it was like to live there. Now, this is the picture that God painted of Nineveh, and then we come to chapter three of Jonah, where a second time the word comes. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. How dare anybody preach to Nineveh about their soul? Who is responsible for this outrage? Well, Jonah obeyed God and he preached for three days. He preached, he went from neighborhood to neighborhood, marketplace to marketplace, from house to house. It took him three days to be able to circuit the city and to preach and his message was electrifying. I mean, the citizens of that city felt like they were jolted like a knife had been plunged in within their soul, exposing the, the thoughts and the intentions of their hearts. It was a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening sometimes is likened to a firestorm. And in this case, it was the visitation of the Holy Spirit. As this firestorm was fanned into flame, by the hurricane wind of the Holy Spirit. This was one of the greatest spiritual awakenings in all of history. 
And when Jonah's message finally reached the king, he took immediate action and called for a citywide fast, not just from food, but also from water. And the key verses are verses eight and nine. Let everyone call urgently to God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So how wide is God's mercy? Maybe you've asked that question too. Perhaps you're one here today where you have considered the sins and the failures of your past and you have been haunted maybe for years. You have been haunted by guilt and it has strained your own mental health because you deal with these relentless accusations against you and your heart continues to pound it day after day. And these, these sins may be hidden from everybody else in this room. You know about them and God knows about them because he knows and exposes all of those hidden deeds. He knows what's going on. And then you hear about this account and you've been studying through Jonah and, and you see the wideness of God's mercy to them. And you ask yourself, is there mercy for me? Is the wideness of the sea of God's mercy wide enough for me and my past and what I deal with? Corey Ten Boom wrote, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I hope that you leave today with the certain knowledge that the wideness of God's mercy reaches even you and can reach your wayward children. Some of them are prodigals. They've walked away from the faith that you brought them up with. They've renounced Christianity. They don't even think there's a God and you're wondering, is this the child I brought up? Is the wideness of God's mercy wide enough for your children? Is the wideness of, your, of God's mercy wide enough for your neighbor? Is it wide enough for this nation? Is there mercy for me? And Jonah 3 says yes. There's wideness of God's mercy for you. Whatever your past, whatever it is that deserves the wrath and the anger of God has all been laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ when he died for your sins at the cross. And because of Jesus, there is mercy and there's mercy for you too. And the wrath of God for our sins, that wrath that our sins deserve was propitiated. It was appeased at the cross when Jesus Christ died and the wrath of God was poured out on him so it would not have to be poured out on us. The mercy of God. As the hymn says, in our place, condemned 
he stood. Now I say all of that to lead up to identifying two ways that the mercy of God is displayed in this chapter. Those that not only applied to the Ninevites, but they apply to, to us as well. And I want to look at those with you today. The first way that the wideness of God's mercy is displayed in this chapter is that in God's mercy, he sends a messenger with his message. In verse two, it, it, it gives us, it tells us that Jonah is told, I will tell you the message. It's not your message. You're not making this up and inventing this in your own mind. This is my message. Well, what was the message? Well, verse four. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then it adds, the Ninevites believed God. You see, when the Ninevites heard the message, when they heard that message, they felt like the voice of God was speaking to them. I mean, it was different than anything that they had ever encountered. The weightiness of it, the authority behind it, it was greater than the authority of the king when he spoke. There was something about that message and they could not shake it. It was God speaking to them and it demanded a response. Even the king, when he heard the message, he understood this demands a response. I just can't let this go. God is speaking there was authority behind it. It was God-breathed. And just like those who heard Peter preach on Pentecost, they were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? There was an occasion when the apostle Paul uh, was preaching to a Roman official named Felix. And it tells us that um, Felix, this Roman official, was listening to Paul preach about faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Acts 24, 25 says. And it says that as Paul talked to Felix about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. You see, when you hear a message from God, it demands a response and either it warms your heart or you plug your ears and you say, that's enough for now. I don't wanna hear anymore. In this case, the Ninevites were listening and they responded. When the Bible speaks, said Martin Luther, when the Bible speaks, God speaks when the Bible speaks to you, it's riveting. And you sense that God is speaking to you and, and it seems like all voices that may be around you fade into the background. And, and, and you sense this message is for me. You ever encountered that? Sure you have. This message is for me. God knows me and he sees me. And he's speaking to me. And that was the occasion 
where the Ninevites heard Jonah preach God's message. Isaiah 55.11 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. That's the word of the Lord. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You see, it's impossible to explain what took place at Nineveh unless you, are, you, you understand they had a visitation from God. How do you explain it? Something that dramatic and that quick. When God speaks, there, it accomplishes what he has purposed it to do for you, for this church, for this community. It's what is called the X factor. There is an X factor whenever the word of God is read or preached or spoken or read out loud. And when I say X factor, I, I mean that once it is read, even what I read today, it is out of my hands. You can't control it. God takes charge. And he does what he will with his word. And how he uses it is entirely up to him. And look how he used it in Nineveh. Even Jeffrey Dahmer could not resist the word of God when the Holy Spirit sent it forth to achieve its purpose. 1 Corinthians 2.4 says, my me- this is Paul speaking about his own preaching. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Jonathan Edwards saw this firsthand in the, the first great awakening in the colonies uh, in the 1730s. He saw what happened in Northampton, Massachusetts when God showed up and it was dramatic. And these are his words as he observed what took place When God takes control, you know, the X factor. And these are his words. God has also seemed to have gone out in his his usual way. God went out of his usual way in in the quickness of his work. And the swift progress his spirit has made in the operations of the hearts of many. Tis wonderful that persons should be so suddenly and yet so greatly changed when God in so remarkable a manner took the work into his own hands. There was as much done in a day or two as at the ordinary times with all endeavors that man can use and with such blessing as we commonly have that is done within a year. 
In other words, what he's saying is that when the Holy Spirit takes charge in the life of an individual or the life of a church, when he takes charge, there is an acceleration of the work of God in the human heart. And what might take a year takes place within a day. And you walk away saying, wow, what happened there? Well, I'll tell you what happened. God showed up and he took charge. Is God speaking to you today? Will you respond like the Ninevites did? Or let's look at it a little differently. How about, do you have an unsaved friend? Maybe a coworker, maybe a classmate. And, and you have wanted to see them turn away from their own designs and their own ways and turn to God. And you say, I don't know what to do. Where do I begin? May I suggest that maybe for, let's say, four weeks, four weeks, you suggest to them, would you like to read with me a portion of the Gospel of John for, say, four weeks? No pressure, no preaching, no discussion. We'll just read it. Would you be up for that? And they may say, yeah, yeah, I think I could do that. Four weeks? Sure. We'll do it once a week for four weeks. And you go through Gospel of John 1, 2, 3, 4, and you wait and see what God does with his word. It's the X factor. It's out of our hands. He does what he will with his word. So that's the mercy of God. He sends a messenger with his message. But there's another display of God's mercy here, and that is in his mercy, he swiftly forgives. I mean, bang, it's done. He forgives, and you say, you mean it's that quick? Aren't you going to ask me to jump through a bunch of hoops here before you forgive? How can it be that quick? I mean, don't I need to contribute some kind of a, you know, a series of penances? Or how about jump through some rites that I need to complete or, or some duties? Well, that's what religion does. That's how religion operates, but God in his mercy is so free that he swiftly and quickly forgives the repentant, the truly repentant. Now, this makes so, no sense to the mind of those who are caught up in religion because religion is all about human effort, that we have to contribute something. And so they think, now nah, it can't be that easy. I mean, I understand the mercy of God, but that swift... I don't think so. I think we have to do a few things. There's a, in Rome, there is a staircase called the Scala Sancta, the Holy Stairs. And thousands, thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands over the centuries have ascended this staircase on their knees. And with each step, they say a prayer. And they have been told that this act of devotion will move God to look kindly upon them. That this act of devotion is a contribution 
to the purging of their own sin and leads to acceptance and forgiveness with God. So climb the stairs. And we have so many that are climbing, climbing, climbing up to God. Well, the Ninevites didn't have to do that. The Bible does not portray God as that kind of a God. Titus 3.5 states, God saved us not by the works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Well, this is the question. On what basis is, is God's generosity in showing mercy? What is the ground of such extravagant mercy? Well, the ground of his mercy is entirely upon the work of Christ accomplished on our behalf at the cross. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Great phrase. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So you see, when the Ninevites heard the message and they believed it, They turned from their wicked ways and turned to God. God forgave them based upon, grounded upon the future sacrifice of Christ at the cross. See, it's always been that way. Forgiveness is always based upon the cross. Old Testament, New Testament, it's always that way. It goes directly to the atonement of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And so when they believed by faith, the blood of Christ was applied to them and they received forgiveness of sin. And Jonah 3 puts on display the mercy of God. Now, that God would pursue a city like this that had given itself over to violence and rape and murder You know, that kind of mercy, it sort of feels reckless. Almost like it's a scandal. And yet there it is. Who's responsible for this outrage? And then we look at ourselves in the mirror and we understand that we just see how desperately wicked we are. And it's surprising that God would even let us into his church. We need the mercy of God. And perhaps you're a man or a woman here today and you have a history. You have a reputation. Now, maybe it's only known to you, but you have a reputation. It has scarred your life with your choices and your conscience feels it. And you ask yourself, is there mercy for me? Will God forgive me? And Jonah 3 gives a resounding yes on the cross. Jesus Christ paid in full the punishment that was required for our sin. And the Lord laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. You see, Christ purchased with the high price of his blood our reconciliation with God so that now God can treat us with mercy And when we look to and we believe in Jesus Christ, we can say, along with the psalmist in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, 
so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In the closing days of John Newton's life, he was visited by a friend. John Newton giving the testimony of his own conversion in his his hymn, Amazing Grace. And he says of his own life, God saved a wretch like me. Newton always remembered from where he was saved. And at the close of his life, while he only had a short time to live, he was visited by the friend, and the friend reported that Newton was barely able to talk, but he must have whispered these words that were recorded by the friend. This is what Newton said. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. He didn't remember a lot, but he remembered that. And that's what really counts. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I I want that mercy. I need that mercy. Where do I begin? How do I pray for that kind of mercy for me? I would suggest that you pray the same prayer that Jesus told of in the parable. When the tax collector looked up to God and he said, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where you begin. Start there. Just start, be merciful to me, a sinner, and God will take it from there. He'll show you what to say. It'll release the floodgates. And you'll be able to pray. And God will show you mercy. There is a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. And the sea of God's mercy is wide enough even for you. Let's pray.